Good morning, Thunderbird lovers. This is John Lewis, and I'm starting a new podcast on Ford Thunderbirds, unique in all the world. The purpose of this podcast is for those people who love Thunderbirds and would like to have a little bit of knowledge about them, but uh, also just to enjoy the car. Uh, A little bit of history about myself. I'm a 60-year-old retired principal. Uh, I purchased my 1963 Thunderbird about six years ago, and I've steadily been working on it to have some fun. Uh, My wife and I take it to many car shows, and it is a driver, so um, it's not a museum piece, so it does have some chips and dings on it, but I always try and take care of it and enjoy the car shows with it. Uh, The purpose of this podcast is not only to... um, tell current Thunderbird owners about their cars, but also to help uh, new people with their Thunderbirds. It's a work in progress. It won't be the best podcast ever, especially this first one, but I thought I'd give it a try, so let's go. So the first thing I'd like to do, which I think is important, is to give you a little background on the car. Now, The car was originally, as many people believe, designed to compete with the Thunderbird. Or, I'm sorry, (laughs) to compete with the Corvette. But it really wasn't. The uh, demand for small sports-like cars started coming from the soldiers that came home in World War II. They needed to... um, continue the excitement in their life that they had just experienced during the the war, although the war, as we know, was horrific. So, there was a small group of Ford designists and engineers that had actually started working on a small car. Now, yes, did they hear about the Corvette? They did. But there was already ideas in the work to get a smaller car that would help the GIs coming back and help those families that now had some disposable income. So the car was in the works along with the Corvette. Were they ever going to be direct competitors? Some people like to think yeah. Um, Some people like to think no. Uh, A lot of people claim that the Thunderbird wouldn't be here if um, the Corvette hadn't happened. Uh, I don't think that's so, but that's only my opinion on it. So, to start out, Ford was in trouble in the 50s. Their products weren't exciting. Uh, They needed some help. Uh, Henry Ford hired a man, Mr. Caruso, to help with the management of the company. The company had been struggling for a while um, with their designs. People weren't buying the cars. Uh, One of the things that Mr. Crusoe liked to do was he went to Europe and he'd like to go to the annual Paris car show. Well, he did go to the car show. He was inspired by many of the smaller sports cars that were built over in Europe and kind of wondered why the uh, Ford couldn't produce a car like this. Well, on his return from the car show, he found out that there was a uh, small group working on a car that he wanted Ford to build. 
So, with that, in a very sanitized version, and we'll get into some, uh, I guess we'll get into some different versions of it later on in, in future podcasts, but I'm just giving you a brief history right now. Uh, he gave the blessings for this project to go ahead. Uh, so, really, Louis Caruso was considered the father of the Thunderbird. But there is a whole host of people that came into play uh, on the Thunderbird. Just let me give you some of their names because it might help you in your research if you're doing any research on your own on Thunderbirds. There's Frank Q. Hershey, Ford's chief stylist during most of the time. Uh, there was also stylist and designers Gene Borendat, Damon Woods, Bill Boyer, George Walker, Joe Oros, Bob McGuire, Charles Waterhouse, and Elwood Engel. The project planner was Thomas B. Case, and the chief engineer was Bill Burnett. Now, these people are ultimately responsible for the early Thunderbirds, the 55 through 57, which became the cult classic that we know. And when you talk about Thunderbirds, most of those people want that car. And that's understandable. It was the one that made the first great impact. Now, the only thing that Ford insisted on was this car looked like the other cars. That it showed some semblance to the cars that they were already building so that you would know Thunderbird was a Ford. But one of the purposes for the Thunderbird also was to start bringing people into the showroom. Uh, so one of the things you'll notice if you really look at the early Thunderbirds, if you're interested in them, and I know some of this information right now is very basic for those of you that already own it, but realize part of the crowd I want to talk to is also the newcomers that might have seen a Thunderbird at the car shows, uh, might have talked to you, one of you at the car shows that already owned one, and they're trying to do some research on the car because maybe they want to start collecting cars, and I think Thunderbirds are an excellent opportunity to start collecting cars. Many of them, many of them can be founded, found cheap, and it's a great car to start with, plus the fact that there are many companies that offer parts for the cars. So, with that being said, that's why I'm giving some basic history to start out with. Hopefully, in the following weeks, uh, I'll be able to give you more history on them. I hope to do this podcast every Sunday morning and to publish it. So, hopefully, about once a week, we'll talk Thunderbirds. So as I said, um, in 1955, 57, it was the, really the birth of the cult classic that we call the Thunderbird. Ford did want this car to have a genetic heritage to the cars that were already in their lineups. You might hear my furnace because once again, remember, I did tell you I was coming from the basement of my house. So... With that being said, the Thunderbird was also thought to be a halo car. Ford, I don't think, anticipated selling a lot of them at first, uh, but they thought it would be a great attraction to bring people into the showroom, and then their salesmen could do their magic and talk them into other cars. So, if you really look closely at 
a Thunderbird from the 55 through 57. You'll notice that they do share a lot of styling with the other cars. Plus, they share an awful lot of parts from the other cars also. So this makes them kind of desirable, I think, to restore. Uh, one thing you'll notice with the 55 through 57 Thunderbirds, when they're compared to the Corvette, which they're ultimately always going to be, is that the Thunderbird was an all-steel car, where at that time, the Corvette was dealing with an exotic material known as fiberglass. Um, I think this is an important distinction because although cars are very expensive to restore, I think the restoration of an all-steel car and the fact that you might find an all-steel car in a little bit better shape than an early fiberglass model would um, tend to make you lean towards that steel car. Although, let's be honest, if you look at prices of Thunderbirds compared to prices of Corvettes, especially early on, we know which one's going to bring the bigger value. And this really hurts my heart because I think the styling of the Thunderbird is great, as, as the Corvette, but I don't understand why more people uh, don't like the Thunderbird. Uh, I know my car itself, uh, when I went to look to purchase one, and I looked close to 30 years, uh, I could always find a nice Thunderbird, but it was always out west where there are drier examples and there wasn't as much rust and things like that, but I couldn't afford the shipping costs to get them back. My Thunderbird actually came out of the Pittsburgh region, so and I was very lucky to find it. Uh, I even um, the car even has still has its factory undercoating, and I really only had to replace one rest spot on the car, so I was, I was very fortunate there. But again, I digress. So, um, so when you're looking at the '55, you're going to notice that there was a lot of parts that it shared with its other cars. Um, one of the things I found fascinating about the car early on in its design phase is you'll see some early pictures of the 55s with a huge check mark down the side, a check mark type trim. Uh, I thought that this check mark trim looked very good. Um, others at Ford didn't, and it eventually, it eventually got discontinued. Uh, but you can see early advertising ads with this check mark. But the significance about the check mark was, again, this was an attempt to make the Thunderbird look like the rest of the Ford family, which featured what? The check mark. Okay? It should be noted that early on, um, uh, the Bud Automotive Company was actually supplied the bodies of the Thunderbird. Uh, they stamped out the body panels and they welded them together and that the actually the bodies were shipped over the Ford production line and the Thunderbird was actually built on the same production line as the other Fords. Um, we're going to see later on that the production of the Thunderbird changed, but um, Thunderbird was actually almost as close as you could get at the time by a major manufacturer um, like the Corvette. Um, 
which again, we're going to draw comparisons to it, even though the cars didn't compete uh, with each other really. Um, the cars were as close to maybe a hand-built full production car as you could get. Um, great care was taken. Great care was taken in making sure that the fit on these cars was good. Although I'm not sure any fit was good on the 50s cars overall, this was better than most of the 50 cars coming out. Um, one of the things that you're going to also find out about the Ford uh, Thunderbird in 55 um, that those that purchased it um, I guess in the 50s, I don't know, I didn't live in the 50s, but um, there seemed to be an awful lot of feedback by um, early customers, and Ford actually did listen, and in 57, or I'm sorry, 56 and 57, that we'll cover in a later podcast, they actually did make changes based on what people said. Uh, one of the first um, changes that was note you'll notice between a 55 and 56 are the air vents um, the first car produced a whole lot of heat that went into the uh, driver's compartment and that was one of the early complaints um, myself <laughs> being a six foot four person and get don't get me wrong i love 55 and 57 thunderbirds but being a six foot four person myself i can't fit in these cars so there must not have been a lot of six foot four people in 55, 57, but one of the major reasons I can't fit is the dog leg, dog leg that's created by the curved windshield and the door opening. Although I'm not exactly heavy set, I'm not exactly small, and I cannot get into these cars due to that dog leg. So when you're looking at these cars, if you're big like I am, that might be something you want to consider. Uh, if you can actually sit in a car, although I'm sure most everybody's smart enough to try and fit into the car uh, before they buy it. But sometimes with these modern times, we buy cars online and we don't see them. We just kind of fall in love with them. So, and we go ahead and purchase them. I know uh, several years back, I was so excited. A friend had offered me a fully restored um, Ford pickup truck from the 50s. Uh, something I'd always studied, uh, the, um, and I really, uh, I really wanted it, and it was fully restored, and I wasn't going to have to do anything to it. And he was offering it to me for about ten thousand dollars, and we went. And it was beautiful. It was blue, fully redone. Um, went, did all the precursory things. Went down and and uh, looked under the truck. Talked about the restoration. Looked for rust. Uh, looked for any unsafe welds uh, since it was um, kind of resto modded. It was a beautiful truck. Got all excited. My wife was excited. We were going to pull the trigger. And then I sat in the cab. And unfortunately, even though they had moved the gas tank out, uh, they had left the pedals on the floor instead of hanging uh, from underneath the dash when they were attached to the firewall. And with the combination of the big steering wheel, I couldn't fit in this truck. So if I can't fit, I can't drive, and if I can't drive, I can't enjoy. So we had to let that truck go. But to this day, it breaks my heart that I had to let that truck go. Um, so one of the things you might want to consider when you're looking at uh, cars to purchase, especially from the 50s and 60s, that um, 
if you can fit, I guess would be the greatest thing to say. Um, the official, let's get back to Thunderbirds. I digress once again, but hopefully you'll find some of this interesting. Uh, I Hopefully the people that pick up on this podcast are actual uh, car enthusiasts themselves, and maybe I'll share some of the things um, that you've experienced and you know you're not out there alone. Even though there seems to be hundreds and thousands of us, sometimes we think we're the only ones sitting with the problem with our car. And most of the time when we get to talk to others, we find out that we're not. Uh, the official build date for the Thunderbird um, when it was introduced was October 22, 1954. On that day, Ford dealerships across the country uh, should have received a Thunderbird and they started taking orders. Something that's highly interested when they took the orders for the first Thunderbird. Um, on the very first day that the car was released, oh, my wife's up, you probably hear the water running from there. Um, The interesting thing is when the dealers took orders for the Thunderbird on the first day, they took over 4,000 orders for the car. That's how big the car had made an impression on not only the public, but also the press at the time, which typically gave the Thunderbird glowing reviews. It took Ford over three months, over three months, to produce that many Thunderbirds. Um, So the waiting lists for these cars were quite common. But I give you that date because um, the Thunderbirds production started on September 9th, 1954. Uh, the production uh, date is different than the induct- in- introduction date. So uh, if you're looking at these cars and you're, and you're trying to find um, a little bit of history on them, remember September 9th, 1954 was when production started. So if you'd happen to run into a vehicle tag or something like that dated before that, good chance is it's not authentic, okay? Uh, and in future podcasts, we'll also get into some of the reproductions of the 55 through 57 Thunderbird bodies. Uh, but the official uh, production date was September 9th, 1954, and the official introductory date for the new Thunderbird was October 22nd, 1954. Um, so, those dates might help you a little bit. Um, the Thunderbirds that year came with several options. Not a lot, because, you know, it was a new car. But let me read to you... Uh, a few things um, that you could get. Uh, you had your choice of paint color on a Ford Thunderbird in 1955. Not much has changed there. You can still choose your color today. So, one of the colors that you could get was Raven Black. Another color was Snowshoe White, Torch Red, Thunderbird Blue, or Goldenrod Yellow. Now, I see an awful lot of um, Raven Black and Torch Red Thunderbirds uh, out of 1955 and 57. Um, I really, though, to tell you the truth, I am a fan of the Goldenrod Yellow uh, Thunderbirds. So, But I don't see many of them where I live. Um, the interior at the time, you could uh, get a black and white interior, a red and white interior, a turquoise and white interior, or a black and yellow interior. So, with that said, let's talk a little bit 
about if you're looking at the identification tag, okay? Now, the identification tag on a 55 Thunderbird is located on the plate attached to the dash panel in the engine compartment. Again, it's located on the plate that's attached to the dash panel in the engine compartment. You're going to run into an, a vehicle identification number that um, is about, well, let me see here. I've got one in front of me, so let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six seven eight nine, about ten numbers long okay so the first digit of that number and we're going to go from left to right is uh the engine code so it's going to be uh one letter the second digit is going to identify the model year so again the first digit identifies the engine the second digit identifies the model year that it was built in. The third digit is going to identify the assembly plant. The fourth digit is going to identify uh, what body style it is. And then your last six digits, and this always confuses me to tell you truthfully, I still work through this one, but it might make sense to some of you, okay? The... Um, Last six digits represent the basic production number, the number of the car, uh, that it, the number of Thunderbird it was on the production line, the number of car it was built. So it starts with 100,001. So those digits start with 100,001. So I'm going to assume that a number such as 100,532, is that your car would have been the 532nd car built on the production line. You know, I'll give you at the end of this podcast, I'll give you my email. And if you can shed some light on that to me, I would appreciate it. Now, I just goes to show you that uh, this podcast is probably going to be a little bit raw. I don't know everything. I just kind of put it out there, though, to... Uh, increase people's knowledge. Uh, it's always good to share your knowledge and pass it on. I don't have a, I'm not the exact uh, Thunderbird um, know-it-all, but I enjoy the cars and I'd like to reach out to fellow people that that enjoy the Thunderbirds also. Now, this doesn't mean from time to time that we won't talk about other cars, but I will lean heavily towards the Thunderbirds because I think they have an interesting history and styling. I think they have an interesting history in, in things, trends they started in the um, automotive world. And um, I just like them. And I'm sad that they've discontinued it, discontinued them. And I'm always um, hopeful that they'll bring them back. So the other um, thing that you'll run into on this plate is you're going to run into what they call the... Um, the patent plate. Now, the patent plate is located on the dash panel in the engine compartment. The plate consists of the serial number, uh, the body number, the exterior paint color, the trim scheme, and the production code. So, for example, if on your if you're looking at it and you see 40A, 40A was the body, and that means Thunderbird. If you look at under the color, and it says R, R was torch red.
if you look under the trim component, let's say it's XA, XA was black and white vinyl. And if you look at the production code, uh, let's say 17K47, 17 is going to be the day of the month, K is going to be the month of the year, and 47 is going to be the 47th car produced. So there's a lot of information contained on these plates. Make sure you look for these plates when you're looking at your cars. And if for some reason these plates don't exist and they're giving you some bogus reason why the plates aren't there, uh, my opinion only, I would stay away from the car. Uh, those of you that have been in the hobby longer uh, might have a different opinion on that, but um, I would stay away from the cars personally. Uh, one of the things, too, I, I want to tell you is the production code, and they get when they give you the month that the car was built in, uh, January starts with A, February begins with B, March begins with C, April begins with D. You can see the pattern. But when you get down to August, it's the letter H. And then it jumps to September, which is the letter J. There is no I in the production date codes on a 1955 Thunderbird. So, for example, if you would see an I on the, on the patent plate, um, that's not right. And you know something's uh, happened. Um, you can actually get these patent plates reproduced and made. So make sure that when you're looking at the patent plate, make sure it's right. Because if you would have a production date code of I, that could, I think, relatively affect the the price of the car or make people wonder if it's a true Ford Thunderbird because as I said earlier there were reproduction Thunderbirds made uh, so that's just something to look out for it might be a very minor point some of you aficion real aficionados um, might say oh you know that's not real important John um, but at this time um, let me give you my um, email or email address so you might want to talk to me concerning uh, this podcast and feel free to send me questions I'll try and research them like I said I don't know all the answers so in all lowercase the email is Ford F-O-R-D Silver S-I-L-V-E-R and A-N-D Red R-E-D 13 at gmail.com. That's Ford Silver and Red 13 at gmail.com. Feel free to use that email to um, ask me questions. I guess if you want to complain, I guess you can complain too. Uh, because this podcast, uh, this is the inaugural podcast. So I'm looking to improve this. Um, podcast as I go on and I'm mature with the process. Uh, once again, I'm 60 years old, so I'm trying to learn uh, new systems. I also, if you're interested, have a web page. Um, the web page is bluethunderinthehills.com. Um, I don't sell anything. I'm not political. Uh, this website is simply celebrating Thunderbirds, and you can also see pictures of car shows where the car 
my car, my Blue Thunderbird, which we call Blue Thunder, uh, you can see the different events uh, that it has gone to. And you can see the different cars in the uh, car shows where it has attended. I do like other cars other than Thunderbirds. I just am very much in love with Thunderbirds, and I, I really like those the best. But I do appreciate the other cars. Um, I will not ever, ever, ever try and sell you anything. And I will not ever, ever, ever express a political opinion. Uh, this is not what this podcast is about. So I want to make sure we talk about cars, uh, Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds mostly. But I, I will talk about other cars depending what I get on emails. If I'm fortunate enough that anyone listens to this podcast and I do get emails. Um, but those are the few things... Um, that I've started out with for this podcast. I'm going to keep the podcast to about a half hour uh, and I'm going to try and do it every Sunday. Um, So hopefully I'll get a little bit of following and we'll have some fun investigating Thunderbirds and um, talking about the car hobby in general. Um, If any of you out there listening, I do appreciate it. I hope you support this podcast and have some fun with it. Please don't hesitate to send me ideas. Please uh, don't hesitate to take a look at my web page. I think you'll have some. I think you'll have some fun with it. Um, so, with that being said, um, I wish everybody a safe week. Uh, that's coming up. I know this podcast is going to be published on Saturday, probably. But once again, I will try and do this every Sunday morning. I hope you have fun with your Thunderbirds. I hope you have fun with your antique cars. Um, I'm a big believer in them, uh, and I want to see younger people interested in some of the older cars. I don't think you can beat the styling. So for now, I'm checking out. This is John. I hope you have a great week and enjoy those cars.